Hello, and welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Today we continue the legacy of the Sanctuary Leather title holders in Los Angeles. Our next guest is a Navy veteran, an LEL brother, a full member of Onyx Southwest, and somewhat of an expert when it comes to BDSM play. Let's get ready for some more Leather Talk. Well, hello, this is Brandon, your Mr. Bullet Leather 2020, and today we have Navy Cub. Uh, Navy Cub, can you please introduce yourself? Oh, hi, Brandon. First of all, thank you for having me. Of course. Um, my name is Francisco Perales. Um, I go by uh, the Navy Cub. Um, I'm a gay man, and uh, I've been in the leather community going on over about 10 years now, but actively involved in the community for about five years. And I am your current Mr. Sanctuary Leather 2019. Awesome. Well, you said you've been involved-ish for like 10 years. How how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I'm 38 years old, and I really started, you know, about 10 years ago. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. I thought you were like, I don't know, 25. <laughs> I look young. I, I, I try to preserve myself. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> well, you have a little backstory to your, your name. Would you mind talking a little bit about that? Sure. So again, I go by the Navy Cub. And uh, that name actually was kind of given to me. Um, we were playing around with names when I first started getting really involved in the community uh, by Robert Green. Um, of I think you know who Robert Green is. He's mm-hmm. basically the leather photographer <laughs> for our community. And um, we were just talking about it. And I remember I was running for a title for Mr. Uh, Mr. Cub. And and he asked me, he's like, so you were in the Navy, you know, Navy Cub, that kind of suits you. Hmm. And I don't know who came up with it, actually. But it's one of those nights when we were at the bar, we had been drinking. Um, and so that name came about, uh, the Navy Cub, because I was a cub, I am a cub, and I was in the Navy. It's not a funny <laughs> story, but it's a story. <laughs> I love it, though. I love that it has meaning. So when you first introduced yourself, you know, a few moments ago, you said, you know, I am the current Mr. Sanctuary 2019. But so you do have a title prior to your current title, then? Yes. And that is another funny story. I... When I ran for Miss, uh, well, let me let me go back. Uh, so I am the last Mister Los Angeles Cub, mm-hmm. uh, 2016. Uh, Bears LA retired that uh, that title after I was done with it. Maybe because I did such a good job and nobody can tell me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know who knows? But um, yes. Yeah, so when I was running for that title, apparently I was wearing a lot of leather that night and so sir frank and um was one of the 
uh, one of the producers told me, you should have run for a leather title. I didn't know you were this much into leather. So, um, but yeah, that's how I got, uh, that's how I got my, my, my title, Mr. Okay. Okay. So let me like pick your brain a little bit about this because I didn't realize that there were like titles not associated with leather. Um, and that's probably my own naivety about the whole title system. So the bears, the, 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 not the bears, um, the Bears, the, the, the Bears LA and the Mr. Los Angeles Cub, this was not a leather title then. That, that is correct. So when M- Bears LA has, uh, well, had three titles. It had Mr. Bear LA, Mr. Cub LA, and Mr. Leather Bear LA. Mm. So when they would have the competition for Mr. Bear, um, you would always have, I guess, first place. And essentially runner-up, if you want to call it, but it was Mr. Bear and Mr. Mr. Cub. Okay. I mean, they were both on the same par. Don't get me wrong, though. But yeah. Right. All right. Okay. So you you involved yourself more with the with the Cub or with the with the Bear community be- prior to the leather community, or did or did you come into both of them around the same time? You know what? Honestly, I came into both of them at the same time. I already knew what the leather community was. I, unfortunately, because me being in the service, I was in the Navy, mm-hmm. I really couldn't, I guess, partake of being in the leather community because I, I was constantly out of the country. Uh, but when I came in to the community um, about five years ago, really came into it, I was really taken in more by the bear community than the leather community. Not to say that the leather community is standoffish. It's just the bear community is as you know, is very more welcoming. And I started getting into more into that before I got into the other community. Got it. Got it. Well, let's kind of go back. I have so many questions for you about the, the, the whole title system and your involvement with the, with the leather and the bear community. Let's go back to kind of you coming out. When did you come out or have you come out like to everybody? Uh, so yes, I'm openly out. I'm, I'm very public about my sexuality. Uh, I mean, I have two accounts. I have one account for my leather. I'm, I'm, when I talk to say about account, I'm talking about Facebook. I have a Facebook account where it's for my family mm-hmm. and one account that's for my friends. But throughout the years, they've just kind of merged. So my parents know what I do. They know I'm a cub, I'm a leather cub, I'm a leather person. Um, they see my pictures. And it's funny because okay. I always say the funny thing about my mom is she only has one opinion when she sees me in all my gear. is and she, It's in Spanish. She says, Ay, mijo, te ves bien gordito. Which tracks <laughs> me. like, oh, you look so chubby. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. Well, she must love you. <laughs> she does. She loves me. I mean, she has concerns. I mean, I any typical Latina Catholic mom has concerns about her child being in a community that's, you know, very, very sexually active. Uh, right. You know, she passes those concerns on to me and I assure her that I take care of myself. So, so for, for your coming out and in, in your family's dynamic, did they have any moral issues with, with it being Latino Catholic? You know, I'm very, I'm very lucky that I grew up in a family that was, 
very understanding. Yes, my mom was very uh, Catholic growing up, and uh, but my dad, my dad was I wouldn't say my biggest supporter, but he he for the most part is atheist. He doesn't really believe in religion, and that's something that my parents bumped head um, that I would see. So when I came out to my parents, it wasn't difficult for my dad because he didn't have that whole machismo. Uh, I'm Catholic, Mexican, growing up. Um, I think his biggest concern was that I wouldn't find somebody to love or create a family. Well, you do have somebody to love. Uh, you have a partner of, what, is it five or six years? <laughs> no, you know what? It, it, it seems like we've been together for that long. Um, we've actually been together for about a year and six months. Okay. <laughs> but I, did, I, I met him seven years ago. Uh, oh, got it. We were both going to community college, and I had just got out of the service, and uh, we had met through one of those uh, gay chapters at school, but we didn't really get together till like about a year and a half ago. So it was an on and off friendship. How oh, awesome! And do do you guys live together now? No, you know we we don't live together. He lives with he lives with his family, and I live by myself, but. Come Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays, he's here at my house. Okay. Like he's here right now, and he's watching TV. Okay. Be as quiet as possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do want to ask you kind of about the dynamic of, of being gay in, in the Navy, because we did have another guest on the show, um, actually my title daddy, uh, Andrew A.J. Cheer, um, Mr. Bullet Leather 2017, who, who was in the military and – uh, kind of struggling in some ways, you know, about how out he could be really in the service. Um, did you have any issues with that? So I entered the service in 2000 to 2010. I did 10 years. Um, and I was in a period where they had the don't ask, don't tell policy. Mm. And that was overturned actually in 2008, two years before I got out. Um, so I do remember I had to hide my relationship that I had, um, always making sure that my pronouns were correct, were correct, so as not to out myself. Um, so that really did take a toll in of itself. You know, you don't get to be who you are. And when I was called out, you know, I would—I don't know if I can say a bad word here, but you know, there was. Oh yeah, you can say suck, fuck, and whatever you want. Great, you know, <laughs> I would, I would, you know, people would call me a faggot and whatnot, and. And it was so hard to defend yourself because mm -hmm. it's one thing when somebody calls you a faggot and you can say, yeah, so what? I like to suck dick. What's it to fucking to you? As opposed to saying, no, that's not what I do. And you have to lie. So then the sting of those words don't go away. They only build up. Oh. Um, so it, it was a bit difficult. I tried my best not to let it take uh, control or affect me while I was in the service. But it did. It did in the end. It really did. And mm -hmm. I got, I'm getting compensation for it, actually. Oh, really? How so? Monetarily? Or? Yeah, monetarily. So um, when I got out of the service, I filed a claim. Um, you know, it, those who are listening would know that uh, people in the military, once they get out, they can file a claim for any wrongdoing that the military put on you. You know, um, you broke your back, um, you know, physical, mental, and emotional. And I put a claim for it. I put a claim for my, um, it was under PTSD and I was awarded 10%. So I'm, wow. I get paid for it for the rest of my life. That's a, I mean, 
That's wonderful. I mean, not not that you were, you know, how to go through that, but the, the fact that you're being compensated for for some something. Oh yeah, of course. So <laughs> for, for for those of us listening, like I don't know, 10, 20 years from now, hopefully this episode is out still for people to listen to and available. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about what Don't Ask, Don't Tell was, and what what was that like when it was overturned and and all of that? Sure. So the Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy was created uh, by the Bill Clinton administration, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And it was a Democrat thing to put into place so so that we wouldn't get kicked out. I think it was one of the first steps that the Democratic Party started taking to help the LGBT community Mm -hmm. in the military. So as long as we didn't tell people that we were gay they couldn't ask us if we were gay. So, um, and you know, it sounds something easy to do, but it it really isn't. Because you do have those people in the military, they're gonna call you out, they're gonna call you a faggot, and even though they're not supposed to, and the, the way they would get away with it is, if you were called a faggot, for example, I couldn't go and complain to my, um, my, my petty officers, my POs, mm-hmm. and I didn't know I'm being called a faggot because essentially I would be kind of outing myself. Um, so oh, I would, and they didn't technically ask you, they just called you gay. That's correct. That's correct. That is absolutely correct. So it's one of those things I would just, I would just try to put behind me as a shut the, fu- shut the fuck up, you know what the fuck you're talking about, fuck you. But I mean, it's not a defense, you know I mean? You really couldn't defend yourself. So I mean, like I said, those words haunted you they they, they were painful because you couldn't you couldn't do anything about it so it kind of it kind of protected your position in the in the military uh or in the service but it didn't keep you from having to go through the the ridicule and the and the 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 teasing and the bullying yeah that's correct there was nothing i can do about it um so i would just keep quiet and hope that the ridicule would stop and it would the you know the people would get tired of calling you gay they just they would move on to somebody else and then that was that and then you know being in the service you're constantly moving from uh from one station to the other station so um that that helped but i i I do want to say this though you do find people in the military uh who support who support you Mm-hmm. Uh, I did. I, I had about three good friends, and they were all, they were from Texas as well. And you know, slowly I built confidence with them, and I came out to them. So when I would be called a faggot, I would you know I, I had somebody to turn to. So it wasn't as bad. Um, I remember this one guy. His name was Ruben. Um, I'm not gonna say his last name, but his name was Ruben. He was from El Paso, Texas, and uh, he was a big. I mean, he would advocate for me, and he would help me out, and uh, I'm. I had a small crush on him. He was a straight man. And when he moved to a different command, I cried. I, I remember mm-hmm. crying for about, about a good week because that was my support and I didn't have it. But mm-hmm. you, know, you meet people. You, you meet good people in the service. I, I want to put that out there. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about like you navigating the, the whole gay waters, I guess you could say. No pun intended, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but like... You know, I always 
you always hear like stories or, you know, fantasies of like, oh yeah, we got stationed here or we got docked here and, and all the guys went out and they found, you know, girls to hook up with. Did you have a chance to go and like hook up with guys without getting caught? Uh, you know what? Actually I did. Uh, there is an underground society for LGBT in the military. And I guess I was a part of it. Um, and then my boyfriend's going to be looking at me because he's probably wondering <laughs> what I have to say. Uh, but yeah, there was this guy and everybody called him Meat Rack. And he was a Marine. And uh, he was on one of our ships. And uh, for a lack of better words, I guess he was my boyfriend throughout mm-hmm. that deployment. Um, I mean, we would always do everything together. We would work out together. We would play cards together. We would... Um, eat together i mean we couldn't sleep together but we would find areas in the ship it's a big ship where we would you know hide in these little crevices these little corners and you know we would we would have sex oh my god Uh, you dirty boy and you know what was so dirty about it this is gonna sound disgusting but whatever (laughs) uh i wasn't an experienced bottom at the time so i didn't know anything about prepping my hole so uh yeah it got dirty Oh gosh! So you ruined your whole white suit. <laughs> uh, but you know what? That's how I learned. I was like, "No, I need to figure out what to do." Because <laughs> clearly, I was gonna, I was gonna play the active role in my in my life. Um, I mean, it's the active role. That's gonna be the bottom in my life because that's what I like. I was like, I need to figure out how to make sure that this doesn't happen again. <laughs> so let's talk about that experience. So was that your first time bottoming? You know what? No, it wasn't my first time. It wasn't my first time bottoming. It's probably my third or fourth time. Okay. But this was, I was in a ship and we were deployed. This was my first deployment and we were making our way from, um, where were we? It was Sri Lanka. We were coming from Sri Lanka. We were going to the, um, the Gulf. And, you know, uh, clearly I can't have anything to clean myself. I don't have any, um, you know, nothing to clean myself. Right. So I, I remember telling myself, okay, I'm going to bottom. So I can't eat anything. So I wouldn't eat anything for two or three days knowing that I was going to bomb <sighs> just to make sure that I was clean. Oh, my God. Yeah, you know, those were my twink days, too. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, like, I would starve myself so I could get some good dick. <laughs> <laughs> you were hungry for that meat rack. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's so funny. So you would star yourself so you wouldn't. Did you ever fi- figure out a way to clean out? Like, Yes, greens, 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 greens. And I met a bottom in the Navy, and he told me about, you know, getting a Coke bottle, filling it up with water, and just squirting it up your ass. Ah, so just down in dirt, like right into it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to tell you, I thought I've thought about using a Coke bottle before, but there's just so many other resources when you're not stuck in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> that, that part right there, yes. I, you know, I had limits to what I can do, and so right, I took what I could. Well, did you like? Since there was this kind of like underground gay society, as you said, uh, did you guys ever have like? orgies or like secret gay parties uh you know what orgies no that was really hard uh we would have i guess little gay parties um but how, how do i say it it was at the it was the mess hall we would we would go all to eat and we would all sit down uh and i guess that's where we were like you know 
communicate and being careful to use the proper pronouns when you were talking about who you hooked up with while you were, for example, in Thailand. And, you know, there was little codes that you would say, you know, if she had, if she had a big dick, I mean, a big tits means that he had a big dick. (laughs) So you guys kind of had to flip it around. So like people, people thought you were talking about girls. Exactly. Yes. Wow. How interesting. So in, in your experience, what is the percentage like of gay men versus, you know, straight men in the service? I would probably say 80, 20. That's my experience. So 20% gay, 20% gay. And out of those 20%, you know, you still have those people who were completely closeted that you would have sex with, but they wouldn't sit down in that little table with you and talk about big tits. Okay. Okay. So let me ask you, like as a gay man, um, what, I mean, I, I, part of the reason why I would probably never think about going to the military is because of the whole dynamic between, you know, being gay and, and in the military. Did that cross your mind at all when you decided to go forward with joining the Navy? You know what? I, I weighed my options and this is what I decided. I'm from a very small town in Texas. I'm from Fort Worth, Texas. And I could not see myself living in a Republican state where I had to be closeted. Hmm. I remember telling myself, I'm only going to do four years. And when I get out, I'm going to either stay in New York, California. I already had that set that I was going to leave Texas. So I told myself, I only have to shut up my sexuality for four years. I can do that. Hmm. So So this was a stepping stone for you. It was. I, I needed to get out. I needed to get out of Texas. Um, and I did what I had to do. And I don't regret it. I don't regret it one bit. Well, what are what are some of the po- positive things about your, your time in the service? Did you learn anything new about yourself that you didn't know before? Did it empower you to go forward with other things in your life? When I joined the service, I was very timid. I was very shy. I really didn't know who I was. But learning a lot of leadership skills in the Navy... I used those, and I basically, I came out of my shell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't as quiet. I mean, when I was growing up, I, I suffered from, um, I'm not suffer, but I guess, uh, how is it? Like, I'm, I'm dyslexic. I had a, a, a stuttering problem, a speech impediment. If you talk to me, sometimes you can still hear those things, come, you know, when I'm talking. And those things made me really, really shy. But... Being in a position in the Navy where I had to be a leader, mm-hmm. I had to. It, my, my life depended on it. I was able to break out from my shell and become the leader that I am now. Um, so that's what that's one of the biggest things I took away from being in the service is becoming a leader and knowing how to you know, lead people and be who you need to be to thrive in this world. Well, that's very powerful. So, you know, despite some of the struggles, I guess you're saying you don't regret going to the military or going to the Navy. You know, I don't regret joining the military. No, I don't. But it did came at a, at a high price. I mean, and then, you know, anything good is, you know, costly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Any, anything worthwhile is going to be challenging and difficult. 
That's correct. So let's just say that somebody right now in the Navy or the military is listening to your podcast episode right now, and they're going through some of the same struggles that you went through at the time. What would be your your message to that person right now listening to your voice? I would tell them, find somebody who you can trust. Build a family in the military. Because, like I said, there are good people in the service. You know, people who, who join the military to really make a difference, a positive difference in the world. And those are the people that you need to associate yourself with. These are the people that if you come out to them, they will accept you. They will love you and they will protect you. Just do that. <laughs> find somebody. Please. Yeah. They're, they're out there. So really what you're saying is, is find your chosen family, you know? Yes. Find your chosen family. Uh, and you know, and, and you can apply that to anywhere in the leather community. We have our chosen family, the pub community, the trans community, the military community. You get to choose your family. Mm-hmm. That's the best part. Well, speaking of leather, uh, let, let's dive in a little bit to, to, to leather. Uh, you, sure. you, you said you, you know, you've been involved in, you know, 10 or so years. How did you first stumble upon leather or? Uh, I think, I mean, okay. So the leather, com- the leather community is, it's a, it's, it's a broad term. Um, cause you could be into leather and you could be into BDSM. So, how do you want me to tackle this? Talk about the leather, BDSM, or the whole? Hmm. Well, I guess, what was your first interaction personally? You know, whether that be through a BDSM kink scene or whether that be through you finding a leather bar and being like, whoa, this exists? Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So I'm always, I guess in my heart, I've always been into BDSM. Uh, bondage, discipline, sadomasochist, dominance, submissive. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to, and I, and I tell the story because it's, it's, it's a wonderful story. When I was a kid, I would purposely get in trouble so that my dad would spank me. <gasps> you dirty <laughs> slut. <laughs> Sorry, keep I, going. <laughs> there was something about it that I really liked. I, I, I liked the feel of that leather belt hitting me. And um, there was something about it that I really liked. But what I loved about it, what I really liked about it was at the end, my dad would tell me the reason why he would spank me. So it was kind of a, kind of the aftercare that I really sought. Hmm. So the pain I knew came with aftercare. And so that's how I knew that I was into something different. I was like, wow, this isn't normal. Why do I like to get hit to feel some type of, gratification to feel excited to feel loved so that's how i knew i was into something that was different that i was kinky i just didn't have the words for it then when i was a child i just knew that i was different and i think that's the reason why i needed to get out of texas like i'm crazy <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know i was into media sam and king uh, well, so how old are you? How old were you when you were having these experiences? Oh, they must have started when I was about six or seven. Oh wow! I I remember being terrified about getting spanked, and, and you enjoyed it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I said I would purposely get in trouble. Wow! And it was more the aftercare that I that I really liked because I knew that ooh, this is gonna be nice. <laughs> <laughs> so let let's bring that forward to today. 
So the leather. So how did I get into the leather? So in 2005, let's see, five. That sounds about right. 2005. It's been a long time. I was diagnosed uh, positive. Uh, HIV positive. I was diagnosed with the military. So they had me. I, I they had me do all these things, and I, I had to go to some to training to figure out what how to take care of myself. And I went to this group. It's called Bienestar. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Um, well, anyways, this this is in San Diego. This group Bienestar was right next to the. Uh, the Eagle San Diego, and I remember one time we were sitting down, we were talking about our feelings, we were crying, we were doing the whole kumbaya thing, um, and one of the guys who was positive told me, do you want to grab a drink? I said, sure, where are we going to go? And I thought we were going to go to Richie's or, you know, like the WeHo of San Diego. Right, Flint. Like, oh, no, no, it's just around the corner. So we go in, and I already see the lights are red, uh, you know, this guy is out there in leather. He looks like he's been, he was in the service. And I looked at him and was like, oh my God, where are, you, where are you taking me? And as soon as we walked in, I remember they had the St. Andrew's cross and I was just touching it. And I looked at my friend and I had this face like, I found my place because everybody was running around in jogs and leather. They looked very military and other thing for military. Uh, uniforms, and he goes, "You're home, aren't you?" I was like, "Yes, I am." <laughs> oh my gosh, that is so awesome, Francisco! I'm getting teary. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow, this whole time you you went through a struggle in the military, and then you come and you find like these, I guess, representations of the military in a gay kind of setting for yourself and this is where you started to feel at home at home yes mm-hmm. wow yeah that was more 10 years ago so 10 years ago you're saying a little bit over 10 years ago but okay. you know i like i said i couldn't become part of the community when i had a chance i would run to the uh the eagle bar a couple nights but then you know i would be deployed and so i really couldn't build those bonds and those ties with the community so I was always that one little Navy boy that would go in, have a drink, try to talk to me with one or two people, definitely have sex with uh, somebody that night, mm-hmm. and then go back to the ship. Wow. So how, how long have you been out of the military? Uh, 10 years. Oh, 10, 10 years. years. Okay, you know, okay. I got out in, I got out in June, June the 1st, 2010. So let's talk a little bit about then, uh, let's kind of go back to your titles. Would you say that that's when you started to get more involved in, in the, I guess, the, the leather community in a broad term? Yes. There was this, um, uh, this, this guy, good friend of mine. His name is John P. Patrick. And he told me, you should run for a title. You look like you could be a title holder. But <laughs> <laughs> so he's the one that kind of pushed me to it a little bit and, uh, I mean, when I was getting ready for it, I mean, he really grilled me and told me, you should do this, don't do that. And, you know, it was a lot of love that he put onto me uh, when I was running for the title for for uh, Mr. Bear, Mr. Cavalier, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. So this was back in 2016? Mm-hmm, that's correct. Okay. So what are some of those, what are some things that you did with that title? Or did you have a, like a specific platform with that title? Or was it kind of just like a stepping stone for you? 
You know what? I really didn't have a platform. I mean, I really read, I was so inexperienced, even though I had help. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really didn't have a platform. Um, my goal, and my goal has always been the same thing when I run for a title, is just to raise money for LGBTQ awareness, whatever it may be, you know, because you don't want to, I, I don't want to pigeonhole myself and say my platform's going to be A and seeing how society is shifting and not, not change with it, that I, I leave it open because mm-hmm. you, ne- you never know how the issues might change and you say well i'm only my platform is only for uh gay veterans you know who needs more help this month that's right. kind of how i see it so you don't want to limit yourself in in that's your correct. outreach that is correct got it uh and so <clears throat> now you are your current you're the current mr sanctuary uh, what what's the story behind that how did you get involved with sanctuary uh, my friend a really good friend of mine uh, uh romaldo uh, yeah and he is actually mr um trophy mr trophy guy he does all the trophies for uh the leather community so if that metal that you have around your neck when you go out <laughs> that was made by romaldo okay <laughs> and you should really run for the sanctuary title. I've never seen anybody who is as kinky, as dirty, as naughty, as into BDSM as you, and you would be a perfect candidate to run for this title. Um, so I decided to run, and lo and behold, through the grooming of my friends, um, uh, Esteban Nunez, uh, Romaldo, Carlo, uh, Apple, Jose, Justin, they all helped me. They all helped me get ready for this title. So when when you're getting ready for a title, you know, you mentioned earlier that you kind of came into the military as like a shy, timid kind of person. Would you say that this, the process of running for a competition, did you feel like you used some of the skills that you learned in the military to help you through that process? And did you grow from that process or was it just kind of an exercise for you? No, I mean, I grew through the process. Uh, Of course I did. Um, when, When I decided to run, I wasn't scared. I wanted to do this. I knew I was ready. I knew that I would be a good title holder. Um, I knew that I had a lot, a lot to say. I knew I had a lot to share, to train, to teach, to pass down. Um, for over ten years, I was acquiring all this knowledge, and I really wanted to pass it down. So when it was my time to walk on stage, there was absolutely no fear. I wasn't nervous. I was just ready to get out there and just say my piece. What was your What was your speech like for a sanctuary? My speech was about talking about who I was, how I came into the um, into the BDSM community. I told the story about my dad and how I wanted to give back everything I had learned. Hmm. Um, that's kind of what it was. I mean, it wasn't a "it's gonna make you cry" speech. It was it was the it was meant for everybody to relate to. It's like I've been through those tribulations, you know, I can be that person. I really wanted people to see that anybody could be on that stage. You know, I didn't want to give a big story like, oh, you know, I can't fill those shoes because I don't have such a great story. Everybody's story is great. And I really wanted everybody to understand that you could be on the stage. You're kinky. You're in this room because you're a kinky motherfucker, and you have something to say. You can be on this stage. 
Wow, that's powerful. I've talked about that a little bit with some of our our other guests, just the visibility, seeing somebody that looks like you on that stage can be so powerful. Oh my God, especially when you're short and brown like me. Yeah. (laughs) 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 You crack me up. (laughs) Um, Wow, that's so awesome. So do you remember... Yeah, you know, I always ask this question, I think, but it is one of the more special questions, I think, that I like to know about somebody is what was your first piece of leather that you owned? Do you remember it? And what does it mean to you? Uh, my first piece of leather was a harness from 665. And I bought that. Um, I bought it for myself. This is when uh, I didn't have any leather when I first started going to the, to, to the leather bars. This was a, the first piece of leather that I bought for myself, and I, I told myself I want to become part of this community. Now, keep in mind, I didn't know anything about handing down leather, receiving leather. I just wanted it, mm-hmm. and that leather held so much meaning to me that I just, I just had to have it. I don't own that. I don't own that piece of leather today. I actually donated it. Not donated. I gave it with love to my friend Dustin. Okay. Because I wanted to pass it down, what it meant to me. Wow. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, I don't, um, I don't have any leather that's been given to me, but I had leather lent to me for the competition. And I can't tell you how powerful it was for me to feel like every piece of leather that I was wearing coming from a different friend, I, I couldn't help but feel like they were up there with me. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I have a, I have, if you don't know me, I have like a large collection of leather. Oh, yes. I've seen pictures. <laughs> you have a boutique. <laughs> yeah, I really do. And my friends come and ask if they can borrow some leather for a competition. And I, I, I always say yes. I invite them to my house. I let them go through my closet. And it would be a pizza party. We'll order pizza. We'll have drinks. And they're basically shopping through my closet. And then I give them a speech about what this leather is, what it means to me. And I lend it out. And I also tell them how to take care of it. Because one of the good things to do is if you borrow leather from somebody, you should always return that piece of leather back to the person better than they gave it to you. I mean, it better be clean, conditioned whatnot it should come back to you with much more love than you gave it out to that's just my opinion well that 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 is just so um indicative of like how special leather can be and it can create memories it can create friendships and and you know bonds between people across the generations and the fact that you put so much love into your pieces and, and that the person treats it with, you know, the same love, if not more That's trying right. to bring it back. Like that really puts a lot of spiritual weight into the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. I definitely agree with that. So let's talk a little bit about sanctuary. What is sanctuary? That's a good question. <laughs> so sanctuary is the largest dungeon space in all Southern and all Southern California uh, at 17,000 square feet. Um, and it's a place that you can go and you can rent a room. And these rooms are equipped with everything that you might want to practice and play with with uh, BDSM, whips, paddles, floggers, chains, whatnot. And they have people, they have dominatrix who you can ask them, you know, to come and show you um, 
you know, how to handle these toys, how to play with these toys. Um, it's a funny, it's a funny thing because out of all the title holders in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. I am the only one that's actually affiliated with a BDSM dungeon um, title. Uh, right. Every other title is in either an organization or it's a bar. My title is the only one that's, you know, a dungeon space. You know, <laughs> you, go, you go there to get spanked, flogged, and whip. You know, that's why um, a lot of people say you're like super kinky, Frank. It's like you kind of would have to be if you want to be part of the sanctuary family. You know, that's all. What, that's what we do. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, so can, are you like? Do you hire people to train you over there, or do they just kind of like hanging out there? Like, how does that work? So, like I said, you you make an appointment. Uh, what room you want the the rooms are um they have several rooms and in the website if you go to the website you can see what room has so if you're looking for uh, a bed they have a bed uh, if you're looking for cages uh for uh, flogging stations where the st andrews cross every room is different and it's tailored to what you're looking for for that day now you can go with somebody and rent that room for the amount of hours that you want it for. And it's completely private. No information of you would be given out to anybody. This is your time, your space to do what you want to. Um, Or you can, on the website, choose somebody that you would like to play with and train. And these these girls, they're they're amazing. They're beautiful. They are 100% educated on what they do. Now, don't get it twisted. This is not a rent and you're having sex with these girls this is no this is a non-penetration uh type of establishment we're here to practice and play kink and bdsm because as you know it doesn't have to lead to sex now if you bring your partner and you choose a room that's two consenting adults right um, who can do what they want to do now we say don't do it in the room because it's not this is not a a cheap motel. This place is meant for you to practice and play with BDSM. You know, once you you're worked up, go to your house and finish the rest off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I you're think a that's like, establishment. <laughs> you're classy. Yeah, you're not. Yeah. You're a you're high end. Yeah, yes, you are. <laughs> you're a very high end. Mr. Science makes sure that her establishment is the best and well, it is a beautiful space. What I love about BDSM is that like half the time, well, more than half the time, you don't even like have to actually come necessarily or like shoot your load, as they say, you know, to have this experience, like to be tied up and bound and teased and, and, uh, you know, put. That's correct. You don't, you don't have, you don't have to ejaculate, you know, those doesn't have to be transfers of fluids, you know, you're, you're what you're do, essentially doing is that you're working your sexuality from a different angle that's not the norm, which is penetration. Right. You know, you're experiencing your sexuality different other avenues because your body has so many receptors: your ears, your nose, your lips, your back, your buttocks. You know, you don't have to be penetrated. You don't have to penetrate somebody to get sexual gratification, and that's the beautiful thing about BDSM is that we choose other forms to excite our body. That's the best way I can describe uh, BDSM is, you know, you're choosing other avenues that are not the norm, which is penetration to 
excite yourself, to live in the moment. Um, that's the beauty about BDSM. It really is. It's a whole experience. Mm-hmm. You know, anybody can jerk off. I mean, I could come on my own at home. <laughs> exactly. So let's talk about your kinks and fetishes. We already know you're kind of into, um, you know, spanking and, and whipping. Would you mind going into a little bit more about that? Sure. So I would, I would describe myself as somebody that's a little bit more hardcore. Um, clearly bondage, flogging, whipping, spanking, a uh, lot of uh, anatory penetrations, um, uh, piercings, bitings, you know, if you can draw blood, I'm happy with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more pain that you put into it, I always see as more love that you're putting into me. Um, wow, how, how do I say it? It's just, it has to be super intense with me. You can find anything and make it a toy, but make sure you come intense with it if you're going to play with me. So you're looking for the intensity. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, very intensive. I, I have over 32 piercings in my body. So clearly that there tells you that I love some type of penetration <laughs> to my body. <laughs> well, what, what, what is it with the, is the piercings part of sexual gratification or what, what does the piercings do for you? So it's more like needle play. I'm, I'm more into needle play. So um, when you put needles into my body, it just, wakens me up a lot more um just knowing that something that's penetrating my body it's there and you get to pull tug on it and i can feel the blood coming down on my chest it's warm it's it's dangerous it's exciting you know it just livens me up you know it just makes me feel like i am alive you know that i'm there i'm breathing and i'm at the cusp of uh something so great so that in and itself, it's it's a it's a rush. It's a mind fuck. It fucks my mind, and it's just how 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 is it that you feel more alive when you're pushing yourself towards death? That's that's the mind fuck for me. Oh my gosh, <laughs> you're like making me nervous over here. Um, <laughs> so you know, you like the needle play. Uh, I've seen you flog people before. Are you a big big flogger? I'm a switch, uh, which basically means that I'm into both roles, being dominant and being submissive. Um, I actually learned how to flog at the Sanctuary Studios. Um, I took a class, I learned, and it's one of the things that I would say I'm an expert at it. I'm like flawless, I love what I do, and I train people. And I always tell people, I can teach you how to Florentine in one session in under 30 minutes. And lo and behold, I taught my boyfriend how to how to quarantine, how to flog in two or three sessions. Wow, that's awesome! Yeah, I, I don't know if you uh, if you if you see me, but um, when we were able to go to the bars, um, Onyx would have its events every second Tuesday of the month, and I would always be at the Spiderweb at the Eagle, and I would I I would have my table, and I would have all these toys, floggers, whips, canes, whatnot. And just after people come, try it. It doesn't have to hurt, I tell people. Just feeling the leather hitting your back also slightly is erotic. Now, if you want me to go intense, I will go intense. And that's 
what I always want to tell people. It doesn't have to be painful. So can you just talk us through maybe like your go-to flogging scene? Like what are you doing? What are you looking for? What, what kind of physical or, or you know, nonverbal cues are you looking at? So with me, now this can go both ways. If I'm, if I'm the one being active or submissive. So let me start with me being active. My whole thing is always trying to get people to experience something more than they already know. So I'm always looking for people who have never been flogged. Uh, once I get that brave soul to come to me, it's all about talking them through mm-hmm. of what I'm going to do. I lay out the frame. I'm going to be doing A, B, and C. And I, I do the, um, the risk uh, awareness. So I let them know, this is what I'm going to be doing. This is what I'm going to be playing with. These are the risks that you can't, that can happen if we're playing. Um, and for example, I all get somebody, I'll tie them up. I, I have my emergency cutter in case I need to cut the rope because, you know, people can, re- can freak out. Yeah. And I always start the flogging sessions really, really slow. And I, I always tell people, this is flogging and rope tying 101. I'm not here to scare you. I'm here to introduce you to it. Uh, and I do, I have, uh, I have hand keys. You know, I have, their hands will be up in the air. Um, if they need me to stop, they put all their, all their fingers up and the session stops. And I'm constantly checking up on them, making sure that they're okay, that they are enjoying what I'm doing to them. Um, so those are the things I go for when I am playing with somebody for the first time. That's what I like to do when I'm dumb. Now, when I'm submissive, the roles completely change. I am looking for somebody who's more experienced than me, who knows what they, what they want, and that this is going to be an intense session. I mean, I want, I want that flogger to crack and have that large thud and it's something about when when i'm in public and i get flogged and that thud is so loud that people literally gasp for air like is he okay that turns me on Mm. just knowing having people see me and they say this guy is being turned into mince meat in front of us that (laughs) drives me crazy the the energy that i get from people and I know that Dom is enjoying it because I don't know no Dom including myself that doesn't like the attention when he or she is flogging somebody so when you have a a, a, a submissive who can take that pain and you can you can flog that person and you're putting on a good show everybody is you know feeding off that energy the Dom the sub and the crowd and to me, that's what I look for when I'm being the sub, as opposed to when I'm being the dom. It's just one-on-one classes. <laughs> so, would you say you are um, kind of an exhibitionist in that sense? Oh yeah, big exhibitionist. I, I I love all eyes on me. Remember, this is one of the things that I was afraid of growing up as a kid. I was very shy, and you know, breaking out of my cocoon and becoming a little social butterfly in the love community. <laughs> so you're more of a extrovert today, mm-hmm. you know? 
Okay. Yeah, I felt I, I'm just kind of relating to, to you is, is I kind of felt that way too. And and I don't know if you see my social media posts, but every so often I'll be like, Oh my God, I'm so gay. Like, <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love it. And the reason why I call myself gay uh, all the time, I'll, you know, I'll call my knee, Oh, my gay knee or my gay leg or whatever it is, because I was just so afraid to call myself gay and admit that for the longest time that now that I'm like fully out in, in the community and, feel like I could be myself. Like I just do that as much as possible. And I love getting the energy like from other people, like you said, like, and uh, I can just imagine like everyone turning their eyes towards you as that whip cracks and the, all of that energy you just kind of take into you. When, when I see your, your, your Instagram post or your Facebook post, it reminds me of me when I first started coming out. Uh, and being part of the letter community, I was the same way. Oh, I'm gay this. Oh, I'm like this. I really <laughs> wanted to put that out there because yeah. I was enjoying who I was becoming. I was embracing it and I wanted everybody to see. And I see the things that you post. It's like, oh my God, that was me like six years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I always think it's amazing when somebody comes into the community. You know, you know that our, our goal is to get people, that, that's the gay agenda. Right, gave yeah. people to be, it's to get people to be part, become part of the community. Right. <laughs> and now, now, don't get us wrong; we don't get a free toaster. I don't know where that whole thing started. Oh, yeah, right. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but what what I think is like if if we're gonna call that the gay agenda, yeah, okay, we want more people to come into the community. But what the com- what leather does for people, and what it did for me, was helps people to discover themselves like in their truest, rawest form. That's, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what gets me so excited, and and that's what what gets me so excited to hear you know all your personal stories here on the on the show is is I learned so much just from talking to talking to you, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we continue to learn from everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, are there any um, people in the community that? really stand out to you that you look up to maybe that you know, or maybe that you don't know personally, but had some lasting effect on you as a leather person. Jesus Christ. There's so many to name. I, I would almost hate to start naming them and I would feel so bad if I don't, if I don't say their names, but you know, just off the top of my head, you know, uh, uh, let me see Romaldo Mencia. He's the one who pushed me to, um, uh, to run for Mr. Sanctuary. And I won, uh, John, Pete Patrick, who pushed me to run for my first title, Robert Green, who's constantly taking pictures of me, makes me feel good, uh, and then my close circle of friends. Uh, I have uh, Esteban, Dustin, Apollonio, which I call mother, um, Mr. Bear Allen, God, the Onyx family that's always there to support uh, support me, uh, and of course my, my boyfriend, uh, Cardo Ishibashi, who's always making me sure that I look good. He he calls himself his my little trophy wife, <laughs> his little sad wife. <laughs> I mean, everybody, uh, Gerald. Uh, I I can I can go on, and it, it'd be it'd be a whole um, podcast about people who I admire. But just everybody that I that I associate myself with, everybody that you see on my feed, my brothers who are who are part of this competition. You, I mean. Everybody, I, I get from you, and I hope that you guys get from me. Uh, it's just a beautiful thing. Absolutely, absolutely. 
Well, you mentioned Onyx. Um, Onyx is you are a full member of Onyx. Yes, I am. Um, it's sad to say that I'm not one of the founding members, even though I was there when it was founded. Mm -hmm. uh, the founding members uh, were those who were in a position of uh, on the board to become considered a founding member. Um, so because of that, I was not on the board when it started. I see. But I was there from the conception of it. So I would say like, I was there from the conception. Uh, uh, Mufasa, <laughs> uh, the uh, um, <clears throat> the leader, the guy who created Onyx in 1995, he actually tapped me on the shoulder, per se, on Facebook because he would love all the posts that I would put. Oh, did he and, poke you? Like old school poke you? Mm -hmm, and said that, look, we're starting an organ of onyx in southwest and we would really like for you to become part of it you know because i'm a person of color i'm to be the same king i'm a leather man and i didn't know i was like okay yeah sure let's see what this is about and i met a lot of good family in onyx uh and they're the ones that continue to this day to push me and i see my brothers who have won titles you know i have Alan, who's won a title. I have uh, Roman, who's won a title. And they're both in, in our family. They're our brothers, and they're part mm -hmm. of Onyx, you know? Um, so Onyx has been a, a great organization for me to be a part of. We've raised so much money uh, to help out the LGBT uh, youth queer community. I mean, it's just it's, it's amazing what Onyx is and what it's done for me. So what sets Onyx apart for you from, from other organizations? Because, I mean, there's, a, there's several organizations here in, in the Los Angeles area. I'm not going to say that one organization is better than the other. Uh, what I will say how it sets it apart for me, it's that it, it's in its foundation of what it wants to be, which is a, an organization for people of color mm -hmm. to connect with the rest of the other community. I don't really want to get into like, you know, the whole politics and the whole uh, race, racial thing in the, in the community. Um, but it, it's an organization of people of color mm -hmm. who want to connect with the whole broad and become one. So in other words, you know, it's, it's intention really uh, resonates with you. It does. It, it really does. Because when I first started coming to these uh, to the leather to the, this leather community, I did see a lack of diversity. Um, I mean, this was ten years ago. I mean, ten, in ten years, a lot has changed. I see it more diverse, and every day it, it becomes more diverse. It becomes more inc uh, inclusive. It becomes more uh, friendly to uh, the trans community. You know, um, it becomes more accepting, and I think that Onyx is one of those organizations that has helped. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Well, you are competing for Los Angeles leather in 2021. Is that right? That is correct. And we're competing against you. <laughs> hey, we're competing together. <laughs> you are my sworn enemy till then. <laughs> I want to know, uh, what would it mean to you to, to win the title of LAL? Wow, it would be another three years because I've been, <laughs> I've been <laughs> so I went 2019 and I had to wait a year before I could run. And then 
so then this whole COVID-19, so I have to wait another year. So it, it, it's two years that I had to run. Uh, I'm not trying to avoid your question. I know what you asked me. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to put that out there. <laughs> but I've been waiting so long for this. Uh, what would it mean to me? You know what I mean? Um, I don't think I've ever seen somebody that looks like me. And I know that's like a shade thing to say, but I can't remember the last time a short little brown man won Mr. Los Angeles leather. Um, it would mean that diversity is taking hold, you know, in the leather community. Uh, you've seen, I've seen whites, blacks, Hispanics win, but I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I've never seen anybody that looks exactly like me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it didn't it, it mean, it didn't mean a lot of great things for me. It didn't mean actually, you know, putting myself more out there. You know, I, I talk a big game that I'm, you know, I'm confident and, you know, for the most part I am, but I would like to see what this next level of leadership would feel like and look like and what I can do to give back to my community. That's awesome. Well, be- before we go, um, it, how can we reach out to you? How we, how can we get connected uh, through, through Onyx, through Sanctuary? Oh God. Yeah. Um, so I guess Facebook, um, Facebook, it's uh, Francisco.Perales or Instagram, which is Francisco, Francisco Peral. Without the ES at the end? Without the ES, yeah. Okay. If you see me on, if you see me anywhere, just come talk to me. I, literally, I have people, uh, th- they'll hit me up uh, from all over like the world. I had a guy from Spain the other day was hitting me up. He's like, hey, I saw one of your videos, a flogging video, and I tracked you down. I really like what you do. Can you tell me more about the leather, what type of leather this is. I mean, it's just whatever. I'm like, I'm always ready to answer any question that you might have about leather, BDSM, kink, um, just LGBT, and whatever. You know, I have people talk to me about who were in the service. I, I just love to talk about myself all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love you. <laughs> you know what? I, I think every title holder likes to talk about themselves. That's why we run for competitions. Absolutely. <laughs> you crack me up. Well, love you. Love it. Well, thank you again so much for coming on the show and we'll hope to see you soon. Thank you for having me. And I, just for the record, I love what you're doing. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. I love your film. Bye. Have a great one. Before we go, I'd like to do a quick shout out to a few organizations, the LELC Cares, Bullet Bar Pantry, and the LA Leather COVID-19 Assist. If you or anyone you know is in need of assistance, supplies, or emotional support, please reach out. I will have links in the description below. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Patreon as Leather Talk Mr. Bullet and Facebook as Brandon Bullet. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay kinky. Okay.